morning, everyone. We are continuing our series on the habits of grace, otherwise known as spiritual disciplines, or as one person said to me, so this is the stuff Christians do, right? So that's what we're going to be talking about, the stuff that Christians do. The thing that we're going to be talking about that Christians do this morning is called stewardship or giving. Our passage is out of 2 Corinthians 9-7. And specifically what we're going to be doing is we're going to, uh, first we're going to define what stewardship is. What I'm going to be talking about, every time I say the word giving, I want you to understand exactly what I'm, where I'm going with that. Then we're going to take a look at the age-old debate whether it is better to give or to receive. And then we're going to follow that up with a majority of our time discussing, is there a way to bring joy into giving, where you would actually enjoy the process of giving to the church? So we're not going to be talking about uh, how much you're going to give or what percentage or how important giving is. We're going to be talking about having joy in giving. But before we do any of that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to get together, to come before you and learn more about you, ourselves, and those around us. Father, we ask that your truth would reign in our heart and be used for your purposes. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. So what is giving? What is stewardship? What are we talking about? Well, we're talking about giving of our time. We're talking about using our skills to help others, our abilities, our talents, and we're also talking, of course, money, giving our money. Now, for many people, this is a very unpleasant conversation. It makes you feel unpleasant. It's not very uh, fun to talk about. It's not very fun to do. And, and I understand that. But there are some among us who really enjoy the idea of being generous. They really enjoy giving of themselves for other people. This is uh, something... And, hearing a sermon about giving is actually an exciting idea for them. <laughs> now, for some, the conversation about giving is very actually painful because you wish you could give more, but you can't for whatever reason. I recommend reading 2 Corinthians 8.12 as, as a source for you to, to be encouraged. 2 Corinthians 8.12. God is concerned about your heart, and where your heart is matters to him. I don't have time to get in that this morning, but just use that as a verse, as a good place to start. But for many, again, the idea of giving is an unpleasant thing to think about or to do. And the reality is, is that God actually makes this even harder than that, because he's concerned not just with our giving, but he's concerned with our attitude. For each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. We have to not only give, but we got to be happy about it. <laughs> we have to be happy about it. So when we, are, when we are thinking about the things that bring us joy, usually giving isn't one of those things. What we usually think is about the opposite, the, the keeping. <laughs> we have great joy in keeping, Right? I mean, after all, what is the American dream? We, we go in and we work and we use our time and our talents to advance our career. We use our money for ourselves so that we can buy some stuff now and we can have a, a healthy pile of it later on in life, right? And, and there's this whole discussion about being able to retire early so that you can, you can get there faster. 
so that you can you know, finally get to the point where you can start enjoying life, right? That's where you can be happy is when you got the big old pile of money. Well, the thing about wealth is that it's an interesting thing because we can't seem to get enough of it. It can't seem to have this point where it truly satisfies us. We, we get the new job. We get the promotion. The kid gets $10 from the grandparents. And you know what? For a while, everybody's content until the kid sees, you know, that $12 toy is a lot better than this $10 toy. You know, that, that TV that we have, you know, it would be better if it was a little bit bigger. That car that we need to replace, if we got one bottle up, look at all those cool toys that are in there. This house, you know, this house, if it was just a little bit bigger or had a mudroom or whatever it is, right? Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be better? You know, being a financial strategist, it was always very interesting to me when I would meet with people, and I would meet with people of all different kinds of income backgrounds, right? When I would meet with people, there was one group of people that were always the most anxious about retirement, and it was the wealthy. I would be talking to somebody who would literally have millions, millions of dollars in their bank account. And they were concerned that it wasn't going to be enough for them to make them happy in retirement. That's crazy. But it happened time after time after time again. The reality is that money by itself would not satisfy. And the same thing is true with time. When we have some extra time for ourselves. It, it always seems to go by very, very quickly, and, and we want more. Now, a, a certain degree of that, of course, is healthy. We can't work all the time. It's very healthy for us to have time for ourselves. But a great example of this is in retirement. So for those who are able to, they finally reach this point of retirement where they have enough money and they're able to do whatever it is that they want every day, right? Day after day, they fill up their days. And the days and the weeks and the months go by, and all their days are full. But you know what? They don't feel fulfilled. They have this emptiness, this directionlessness. As a matter of fact, depression is very common in retirement. So much so that 40% of retirees are actually reaching clinical levels of depression. 40%. So what's the solution for that? What do you do? Well, they found that the retirees that were going and volunteering a majority of their day to help other people, to be involved in other people's lives, gave them a sense of purpose and contentment and direction in life. And that brought happiness back. And you know what? It's the same thing with wealth. There have been a number of studies that have proven this. One that was done rather recently where 600 adults were followed. And they found that of these 600, these 600 adults, their rainy day money, their extra money, not the money that they use for mortgage and for um, you know, food and, and things like that, but their rainy day money, if they used a majority of that money and gave it to others and used it for other purposes other than themselves, they were happier. That, does that fly in the face of what we would understand? That just seems crazy. But you know who was not surprised by that study? God. 
He tells us it is more blessed to give than to receive. As a matter of fact, there's quite a number of verses about giving in the Bible. And quite a few of them talk about the benefits to the giver of giving. So God has known this about us all along. So we can now know that there's a certain degree of satisfaction that you can have from giving, a degree of contentment. Now, you may be sitting in the pew and you might be thinking, well, you know, that's great, Greg. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that all these people are, are content and they're, they're finding ways to, to give and to be in, in, in involved in their communities and give money and that it's bringing them contentment. But you know, the reality is, for me, I, I don't like doing it. I, I, I'll do it, but I resent it. I, I do. I, I, I'm not there. You know, and there's even times where I won't do it. Because it just really bothers me giving to the church. Well, I want to address that briefly. There there may be something going on with who you perceive God to be that might be different than who God truly actually is. And I want to take a look at one of the most famous verses in the Bible. John 3.16. There's nothing wrong with this verse. As a matter of fact, there's everything right with this verse. The problem is how we can twist this verse into something that is negative. It begins, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That's foundational to our faith. We really bank on that. So, where's the problem with this? What's the problem with God so loved the world he gave his only Son? When you're a kid, and somebody gave you something, your parents would lean over and they'd say, What do you say? What do you say? And you said, thank you, right? And then the bigger the gift that they gave you, the more gratitude that you would show. Well, you've just been given the gift of eternal life. What kind of thank you note is that going to (laughs) require? Right? So in our hearts, in our minds, we start turning this into something completely different. We turn this into this idea that now we need to pay him back. Okay, but this is not something that we can pay him back. We're turning this entire beautiful gift into a transaction, like it's a mortgage, right? You want a house, so you go to the bank, and the bank comes and helps you out, right? And so now you can buy the house, and you're happy. But what you're not happy about is having to write out that payment every month, right? You're happy with the house, But I don't know of anybody who's sitting there, oh boy, yeah, cleaning out the bank account again. Yeah, here we go, baby. Right? That is not a source of joy. And we can do the same thing with God. He's given this incredible gift. And now it's, oh, I got to give because, you know, he helped. You know, I just, I got to write out the check. I got to do the volunteering because, man, oh, man, I really owe God. It is a free gift. It is a free gift given out of love for us. And when we lose sight of that and we turn it into a transaction, we can turn it into a disaster. Another reason that we can lack joy in giving has to do with obedience. We can can undervalue obedience or we can overdo it on obedience. Let me tell you about a friend of mine from about 30 years ago. So he came up with this great way to give to the church. And his method was, instead of giving the church, by the way, that's the clue, that there's trouble, right? Instead of giving to the church, because you, you know whatever else that he, the plan is, it begins with, instead of giving to the church, you know you're going down the wrong path, 
right? So instead of giving to the church, he decided he was going to get uh, an investment. He's going to turn it into investment. And every month he would continue to uh, pour money into this investment. And then after five years or 10 years, he'd be able to give a much larger sum to the church. Okay. But the problem was that that's not obedience. The other problem was five years went by and guess what he did? He kept it. Ten years went by. He kept, it's 30 years. <laughs> I don't know if he's given it yet. Because the temptation was so great because the amount of money became so large. And the other temptation that we can have is to go overboard. That we can turn God into a bunch of rules that we need to follow. It's no longer relationship. There's no grace. There's no love. It's all about we need to follow these rules and you've got to write the check and you just got to suck it up and deal with it. you just got to go in and, and serve and do your time. And that's all there is to it. There's no relationship. Just get her done. But the reality is that we need to find the just right spot where we're still respectful to God, but we're also in a loving, grace-filled relationship with him as well. So it can't be about Jesus, just <clears throat> we're just turning Jesus' gift into a transaction. That's not going to work for us. It also can't be about dis dismissing God and deciding that we're going to come up with special rules for ourselves because we're buddies with Jesus and he understands, right? Or that we turn God into just a rule book. So hopefully by navigating this well, you're able to remove the resentment towards giving. You should be able to see God for who he is more. And, and I understand that this takes work. But hopefully you can at least get to the point where you're at a neutral point with giving. But of course, we're, we're coming back to the problem again. God isn't interested in just us willingly giving. He wants some emotion in it. <laughs> right? He wants us to have joy in giving. You know what? Is, is God even being realistic here? I mean... All right, fine, I'll write the check, I'll put in the time. But you, you want me to be joy-filled about it? Aren't you just asking a little too much, God? Well, the reality is, is that we, he wants us to do that, not for his benefit, but for our own. Because when we get to the point where we are joy-filled, then we have found a real good core of what it means to be a Christian. That is what Christianity is really about. Not just in giving. When we are able to find this joy in our lives, that we can give giving and, and do other things, we have really tied into what Christianity is about. Let me give you an example. You see, joy itself, this is how it's done. Joy itself is not the goal. If you are just focusing, I'm, I'm going to enjoy giving if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> well, that's not going to work. <laughs> you, can, you can be pushing yourself all day long. That's not going to work. The, re the reality is, is that joy is a symptom of something greater that's going on in your life. Okay, so here, here's the example. People get married, and the reason that they get married, the, the usual reason is so that they can have happiness in their lives. But that's a trap. It's a trap. Because if you are waking up every morning looking at your spouse, I married this person so that I can have happiness in my life, you know what? Some days they're not going to deliver. And neither are you. <laughs> <laughs> life happens and it can be hard and it can mess you up 
And if you have a whole bunch of days where you're asking that question, is this spouse of mine making me happy? And the answer is no, you got a problem. What we have to do is we have to elevate marriage. We have to elevate marriage to something greater than just a self-serving thing. Excuse me. It has to be about something that is greater than ourselves. And let me give you a suggestion. Jesus. If the two of you are, are concentrating on serving Jesus, you're plugging into the very source of love itself. And he will help you through the hills and the valleys of life. And you know what happens? As you are, you are navigating that and you're connecting with God, happiness enters into the marriage. Happiness is a symptom of a healthy marriage. And just as in the same way, joy is a symptom of a mature relationship in Christ. If you take a fruit tree and you plant it in some good soil, good nutritious soil, with a lot of water, and you expose it to the sun, that fruit tree grows and matures and produces fruit. And it's the same thing with us. If you plant us in the Holy Spirit, and you allow him to influence our lives through reading scripture and talking to us through the scripture, through praying to God and talking to us through the prayer, and being in a community of believers, and and, and having them feed into your life as you're feeding into theirs. And as you are exposing yourself to the sun, not that sun, but that sun, you will mature, you will grow, and you will produce a different kind of fruit, a spiritual fruit. And one of those fruit is joy. See, there's a number of advantages to being a Christian. There's... um, these various key areas of life, such as love and self-control and peace and joy, and others as well. And when we are connected with God, we don't have just a normal kind of love. It's easy to love those who love you, but in Christianity, when you mature in Christ, you're able to love not just those who love you, but those who scorn you. You're able to have a peace that goes beyond an understanding, no matter what your circumstances. And joy, joy begins to permeate all the areas of your life, including what? Giving. And that's how you get joy in giving, is through a mature relationship with Christ. Now, I will admit, I had a huge problem with giving especially being a financial strategist. I could work the numbers. You give me a a, a small amount of money, a decent interest rate, 30, 40 years, yeah, baby. (laughs) You got some pretty pretty big sums of money, right? Especially if you contribute to that over time. And I could not get past those numbers. Every time I I approached giving, I would have scorn and resentment because I could continue to see those numbers and I could do quick calculations. And it really bothered me. And you know what made all the difference? Is having Jesus speak to me. That relationship, discovering who it is that Jesus is, not just in the Bible, but in my life and the lives of my family and friends and other people that I knew. It was life-altering. 
I, I want to just close with just a brief glimpse as to who Jesus is. I want to take a look at a passage in Mark 16, 6 through 7. Jesus has just uh, raised himself from the dead, right? And he sent an angel with specific instructions to the tomb. And, they, and he meets, the angel meets the, the women at the tomb. And we're going to pick it up here. Jesus has risen. This is the angel speaking. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Now, I read this, and, and it struck to me as being odd. He said the disciples and Peter. Jesus told the angel, make sure that they know Peter needs to be there as well. Why is he concerned about Peter? What's going on? Well, for those of you who know the story, a couple of days earlier, Jesus and Peter had a bit of a falling out. See, Peter betrayed Jesus. Jesus was on trial, and these false charges were brought up against him, and Peter had followed him, and he could just barely see Jesus in the crowd during the trial. And three times people came up to him and said, hey, aren't, aren't you associated with Jesus? Don't you know him? And each time he said no. And the third time, the ter- third time he said, as God is my witness, may he strike me dead if I know him. In other words, I would rather be dead than associate with Jesus. And then his eyes met Jesus' eyes. And the reality of what he just said hit him. And he ran off. And that was the last time Jesus saw him. And later on, Jesus was tortured and tortured again. And eventually he was tortured on the cross and died. Dying, paying the penalty for all of our sin. And so here he is, he's risen from the dead. And Jesus has got a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of things going on. He's about to set up a ministry that's going to last thousands of years and spread all over the globe. He's got a serious priority list here. And he's got a time limit because that Holy Spirit's coming and he's got to get off the earth before the Holy Spirit comes. And he pushes all that aside and says, you know what, i got to take care of things with Peter. Except Jesus wants to take care of things with Peter different than the way we want to take care of things with Peter if we were in the same place. Because we'd be like, okay, Peter, you'd rather be dead than associate with me? Come here, let's talk about that. But that wasn't Jesus at all. Jesus wanted to let Peter know, I I I love you. You broke my heart, but I love you. And if you love me back, we can work this out. We can really go somewhere. As you are, with your failings, I want you back. And you know what? A God like that, I can give joyfully to. A God like that, I can give my life to. And I'm hoping so can you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your unimaginable love for us. We thank you that we get to experience that. 
personally. Father, we ask that you would help us in this process of grounding ourselves in your Holy Spirit. Being quiet enough in our lives that your Spirit can speak to us, transform us, change us, and guide us into someone that can have joy despite their circumstances, even the joy in giving. Father, we ask that your will continue to be done with us in all things at all times. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.